Hi, this is the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about Bishop Ida Bell Robinson. She was a Pentecostal evangelist and pastor and founder of the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America, founded in 1924, just four years after women even got the right to vote here in the United States. Uh, Ida started her denomination because she felt there was a need for an organization where women preachers and leaders felt welcome and accepted. To add to the challenges of being a woman preacher, Ida was also African American. And her story is quite fascinating and an excellent example of how Christians should be approaching the trials and problems that come our way. Ida Bell was born August 31, 1891, in Hazelhurst, Georgia, the seventh child of 12 children that were born to Robert and Annie Bell. Now, being the seventh child, and seven being a special number to Christians, her parents expected great things to come of her, and based on what we know of her life, looking back now, we can obviously see that their expectations were quite right. Now, her parents were Christians, and they raised their children accordingly. Ida grew up in a Christian home. Now, her family described her as a child as being bright and industrious, and her mother was convinced that Ida had natural leadership qualities. And, you know, it's nice to hear a mother say that their daughter has natural leadership qualities instead of something like their daughter is headstrong or bossy. So... Interesting, uh, interesting observation by her mother, which is obviously borne out in what she accomplished in her life. Um, now, one of the reasons why her mother probably felt like her daughter had natural leadership qualities was that Ida always seemed to be the one in charge when she was with her playmates, and they always seemed to follow her, to follow her lead. So even from her childhood, she was also known for having a happy face, a pleasant smile, and a charming personality. Now, the truth is, Ida was not an angelic child, as very few children are. And uh, some of her family commented that um, whenever Ida would act up and was caught, she always seemed to be able to somehow talk her mother out of punishing her. Now, did not have an extensive education. Most people at that time born when she was born, growing up when she was growing up, didn't have uh, access to an extensive education. Best estimates seem to indicate that Ida completed the fifth grade before she left school. However, anyone that interacted with Ida very long knew that she was extremely intelligent, and they had no doubts as to her mental capabilities. Now, Ida became a Christian when she was 12 years old. And I know I emphasize this a lot, but I want to emphasize it again. Just growing up in a Christian home, just attending church, attending Sunday school, attending youth group, attending Bible studies and prayer meetings, doing all of those things, even reading your Bible every day and praying every day, all those things are not what makes us a Christian. The Bible tells us that we have to be born again. We have to have a born-again experience in the Lord. And if any of us ever have a doubt in our heart whether we have been born again, then we can go to the Lord and get that assurance. We can get things made right with God and have that assurance that we have indeed been born again. So Ida, she gave her heart to the Lord when she was about 12 years old. And by the time she was in her early teens, she had already gone to work to help support her family. And her first major job that uh, we know about was being employed as a cook on a tugboat called the Silver Queen in Miami, Florida. Now, we stated that Ida had been born again at the age of 12 years old. At the age of 17, she recommitted her life to the Lord. And this is not at all uncommon, especially for those of us that get saved at an early age. Uh, There's not just one experience in the Lord. We can have multiple experiences in the Lord. We can have multiple times when we recommit our life to the Lord. And in the instance of Ida, she was at a Pentecostal street meeting where she heard a minister preaching on holiness. 
Now, that theme of holiness is going to remain important to Ida throughout her life. And I want to make this really clear about Ida and about her denomination. When we talk about holiness in this context, we are not talking about rules about how you dress and how you look and what you do so much as we are talking about an experience in the Lord where we are able to live out the Beatitudes. We are able to live out the words of Christ in our own life. Yes, it may be reflected in how we dress. It certainly will be reflected in what we do, but it's not a matter of imposing rules, but it's a matter of living a life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we see some of the things that happened to Ida through her life, we will see the power of the Holy Spirit working through her and giving her victory over situations that for most of us would just take us down. We see the Lord enabling her to have a sweet disposition at times when most of us, when the natural man would turn sour and bitter and angry. We see the Lord working through her in situations where most of us would begin to seek out vengeance. Instead, she hands it off to the Lord and moves forward. And that is by the grace of God. That is genuine holiness. That is a powerful form of holiness and that type of holiness is going to remain important to Ida. Now her denomination did have rules about dress and they did have rules about appearance but that was not where their holiness was at. Their holiness was an experience in the Lord that took place in their hearts and was reflected in their daily lives as well as the times uh, when they were at church. And that's another aspect of holiness that is important to remember and that Ida believed in, and that was holiness is not something you put on on Sunday, but holiness is something that is infused in every day of your life, in every moment of your life. The holiness of God, the power of the Lord to overcome temptation, the power of the Lord to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, all of that should be a moment-by-moment experience in our life, a moment-by-moment outpouring of the Lord through us. Now, getting back, I digressed a little bit, but getting back to the street meeting, the theme was holiness, and something about it spoke to Ida. And that theme of holiness would remain important to her throughout her life. This particular street meeting was being held by members of the Church of God. And as she was listening to them, she noticed the ladies were wearing black dresses with starched white cuffs and collars. And she was impressed by that. She liked how they looked. She thought they looked very appropriate for what she thought a preacher should look like. So I thought that was interesting. That also will come into play in her own personal life. Now, as a result of this recommitment of her life to the Lord and this seeking after holiness, Ida herself began holding prayer meetings and preaching both in homes and on street corners. Her message, like that under which she was saved, emphasized the need for salvation and a life of holiness. Let me uh, make that clear again. It was a twofold message, the need for salvation And number two, a life of holiness. She seemed driven to share this message with others. As I believe it was the prophet Jeremiah talked about, it was like a fire shut up within his bones. This message of salvation and holiness was like a fire shut up in Ida's bones that she was driven to share with others. So while Ida was working on the Silver Queen tugboat in Miami, Florida, she met a handsome man named Oliver Robinson. And they soon discovered they were soulmates, and they got married in 1910 when Ida was 19. Uh, They never had any children. They would remain married until death, and he truly was her soulmate. And one of the neat things about Oliver is he never seemed to have a problem with Ida's ministry. He didn't have a problem with her preaching and praying and starting a denomination. He didn't have a problem with it. And she and Oliver continued working together on the tugboat until World War I forced it to dock. And so when that happened during that time period, Oliver made the decisions for the family. And so he decided that they would move from Florida to Philadelphia in 1917. Oliver was hoping to find better work. And Ida was sad. She was sad to leave uh, Miami because she was leaving behind the prayer meetings that she had worked so hard at organizing. But 
off they went. Now, as uh, they moved to Philadelphia, Ida becomes involved with a small holiness congregation. And this is where Ida's gift for preaching seems to have been first truly appreciated. Now, she had been leading prayer meetings and preaching on street corners, but this is the time that it seems someone really appreciates the anointing that the Lord has placed on her. She began to fill in for the pastor, Elder Benjamin Smith, and started holding meetings in people's homes. And the congregation liked her preaching style, and they liked her singing also. She apparently had a beautiful singing voice and a wonderful gift uh, for singing gospel music. Now, the congregation in this small holiness church began to grow. And it grew because of her. And of course, in a situation like this, it's going to cause problems with the church leadership. The bad thing is the congregation had grown to like Ida so much they preferred her to their own pastor. Now, this is an excellent example where we can see holiness at work in Ida's life. There's a lot of different things she could do here. She could uh, ostensibly basically take this church away from its pastor. The people liked her. She could um, force him out of the church. She could take the congregation members that liked her and take leave with them and start her own church. But you know what Ida did? To avoid causing any problems, Ida moved on to another church. That, my friends, is an example of holiness in the life of a minister. Not a lot of ministers, I don't think, would be able to withstand that temptation to be able to take that church or to take a large part of that church with them when they left. But Ida refused to participate in anything like that. And it also shows a great respect for the uh, pastor of that church um, that she was serving under. Her respect for that pastor and her respect for his authority as the pastor of the church. And I think it's neat. I really love how she handled that. I love the grace with which she handled that. Well, uh, from there, Ida joined the United Holiness Church of America. And at that time, it was offering a lot of opportunities for women, a lot more opportunities even than the small holiness congregation she had been a part of. Uh, Ida was publicly ordained with the title Gospel Preacher, and she continued with her street preaching. And then in 1919, Ida was assigned to pastor a small mission called Mount Olive. While she was pastoring at Mount Olive, she continued itinerating, uh, traveling and preaching as an evangelist. However, Ida was becoming uncomfortable in the United Holiness Church of America. She said prospects for women within this church within the United Holy Church, were decreasing, and male leaders began to spend a lot of time debating whether ordination... Let me, let me... I'll get that word out in a second. The male leaders began debating ordination and pastoral authority for women. And when those type of debates start taking place, it can cause the people being debated about, in this case, the women called to ministry, it can cause them to feel uncomfortable and unwelcome. And I feel like justifiably so. If there is that many people that don't want you there, you're going to feel uncomfortable. So this was a problem. Uh, now, despite the debates going on, Ida was convinced of her call to the ministry. And so were many of her sisters that were also or her sisters in Christ that were also preaching uh, the gospel. It, this debate didn't cause them to question whether they were called or not. It caused them to question whether this was the denomination which they belonged in. So Ida knew she was called. She knew that many of her fellow sisters in Christ were also called. The drive to preach combined with the fruits of her ministry were further evidence to Ida that she was called. However... Women preachers at that time were still few and far between. 
And Ida was not comfortable with remaining in a denomination that was not favorable to women having a place in ministry. The Lord had spoken to her before that, and I quote, he would do a great work through the women as time passed on. So the direction the denomination was leaning conflicted with the word that Ida had received from the Lord. So she was going to have to make a decision. So, in January of 1924, realizing that she had a major decision to make, Ida set aside 10 days for fasting and prayer. She was seeking God for guidance on what He wanted her to do, what course of action the Lord wanted her to take. Now, she was joined in this fast by some of the lady and leadership of her church. And during this time of seeking God, Ida received another word from the Lord. She said the Holy Ghost spoke through her and said, Come out on Mount Sinai. Now, my mother, when I was growing up, taught me that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing shall be established. And her interpretation of that was if something is truly from God, then you can expect a confirmation of it. And so, Ida, following a similar line of thought, waited for the Lord to confirm his message to her, waited for a confirmation that this was truly a word from the Lord. And then she was led to Jeremiah 1, 4, 8, and 17 through 19. So I'm going to read that to you. This is from the Bible again, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8, and 17 through 19. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, truly, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not, for you shall go everywhere that I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. You therefore gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed at their faces, lest I confound you before them. For indeed, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar in bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the officials, against the priest, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you. But they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So Ida felt that the Lord was leading her to leave the covering of her current denomination, the United Holy Church, and start a brand new work. Now this was a big deal in the 1920s. With the exception of Amy Simple McPherson, who was white, women just didn't pastor churches, much less start their own denominations. Especially, this is true for African American women. However, Ida knew that this was what the Lord was calling her to do. She didn't look at what others were doing. She didn't look at what society considered acceptable. She didn't look at what the church considered acceptable. But she looked at what the Lord had put in her heart and what the Lord was calling her to do. Ida was determined to do what the Lord was leading her to do and would leave the results and the outcome with him. She said that one of the words that the Lord had spoken to her was, I will use you to loose the women. So her denomination was going to be one that encouraged women to use the gifts that God had given them, to use the anointing that the Lord had given them in order to spread the gospel and do his work. So that was, uh, that was the decision that the Lord led Ida to make. That was the turning point in Ida's ministry. Now, Ida may have had a limited education, but she was extremely wise. She immediately got in contact with a lawyer so that she could establish her new organization legally. He helped her with the legal steps that were needed to formally incorporate a new church as a nonprofit. Now, needless to say, um, her decision did impact the United Holy Church. This caused a great stir and concern in the church that she was leaving. 
and many of those in her former denomination left it to follow her lead, and this include ordained elders, missionaries, and evangelists, and a significant number of those were women that felt the need for more freedom to use the gifts the Lord had given them, and men that felt women should have that freedom. And so, uh, she made every effort to ensure that this was an amicable break. And again, we see the holiness of God flowing through her life in affecting not just minor things, as we might think of it in our daily lives, but also her major decisions. So, sources confirm that this separation was considered amicable. Far from being forced out of her former denomination, they actually begged Ida to stay, even as they were having this, these arguments about women preachers. And even after Ida left, she was repeatedly invited to speak at their convocations. Now, here's something else, too. And this is where we see holiness at work on both sides. The United Holy Church allowed her to keep the church building when she started her new denomination. I don't know about you guys, but I don't see a lot of denominations getting along real well like that. So I think that's neat. I think we see uh, just a love of God flowing through this. They also let her keep the name of that church. It was the Mount Olive um, Holy Church. And so it seems there was no hostility and no... no um, evil backbiting or anything like no political manipulation at work the break was clean and clear and I think that's cool I really do I think that is a wonderful example of how the Lord can exhibit holiness not just on a personal level but on a church level and on a denominational level so that was how the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America got its start So, the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America became official in the state of Philadelphia on May 20th, 1924. Of the petitioners who signed the original charter for this denomination, there were men and uh, women, two men, four women, and all the original church officers were also women. Now, This is interesting, too, for people that think, oh, yeah, her following was probably all women. It's said that there were more male believers following Ida than there were following male church leaders. So this was these people that, through their support behind Ida, did not do it out of, I guess we might call it today, gender politics. They didn't do it because she was a woman and they were four women preachers. They did it because she had a message from the Lord. She was bringing messages from the Lord. They did it because they saw the anointing of God on Ida's life and on her messages. So, I think that's really neat. So, that was the beginning of the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America, which is still an extremely active denomination. Um, We don't have many of those churches down here in the South, but there are still many, many, many of these churches throughout America. Now, legally starting a new denomination was no easy task. It was not an easy task for a woman, and especially for a black woman. Keep in mind, this is the 1920s. Women had only gotten the right to vote in 1920. Many took the fact that she even received a charter from the state of Pennsylvania as a very strong evidence that this was the Lord at work. Basically, the fact that she got a charter for a new denomination as a black woman to them was a miracle, and I think it may well have been. Um, It was strong evidence of her calling, and it also served to demonstrate the validity of the word that the Lord had spoken to her. So Ida had to appear before judges, notaries, and lawyers, all as part of the incorporation process. And... It said that it seemed like the Lord always gave her the right words to say. And that's something that the Bible promises us, uh, that the Lord himself promised us, that when we would be brought before judges and rulers, that we didn't have to think of what to say, but the Holy Spirit would give us the right words to say at the right time. And that doesn't just apply in times of persecution. But here she needed the right things to say, Uh, the right responses in order to get her uh, denomination started, and the Lord provided her with what she needed. Now, 
one official actually said this is a lot of power to give to a woman. Now, I don't know about you guys, but myself, I'm like, ooh, that is shocking. It wasn't so shocking then. But to think the officials are actually saying this is a lot of power to give to a woman. But you know what? The charter went through. Even though they felt like this was a lot of power to give to a woman, they still put that charter through. And so, that was the beginning of the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America. Now, let's talk a little bit about what it was that Ida preached. Remember, when she recommitted her life to the Lord, she was at a Pentecostal street meeting, and the emphasis was on holiness. And I said that holiness was going to be important to Ida for the rest of her life. The major emphasis in her preaching was holiness. And the way that Ida preached holiness was that it was a requirement and not an option. It wasn't an optional experience, an add-on package to your Christian uh, walk. No, it wasn't. It was necessary. And the Lord would, in Ida's teaching, the Lord would provide us with what we need to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Now, if we really, if we think about it, this is primarily what she's preaching. This is not the type of message that's normally going to draw a crowd. But people were hungry for a deeper relationship with God, and they were hungry for this type of preaching. People wanted to know how to get close to God, how to get right with God. And one aspect of that is holiness, a key aspect, getting right with God and staying right with God. Having a consistent walk with the Lord, where day by day we walk for the Lord, we follow the Lord, we obey the Lord on a day-by-day basis. And when we mess up, we don't go off on a tear. We don't just throw in the towel and just uh, start doing whatever we please. No, when we mess up, when we sin, we take it before the Lord, we repent, and we get up again. And that's a, a... another major part of holiness and part of what Ida preached. Ida's services would begin in prayer with everyone on their knees for about a half hour. This was followed by a time of testimonies and then the offering. And next came a musical group. Then Ida would come on the platform, often shouting and singing for about 10 minutes. And then she would have someone read the Bible verses for her sermon. Now it's believed By some people that Ida had some issues with reading, it could have been something like dyslexia. But she knew her Bible. She knew those verses by heart. Uh, But she would, as is the custom of a lot of pastors, have someone else read the opening verses for her message. And then she would launch into her sermon. And Ida, she had a fantastic memory when it came to scriptures. And she could quote scriptures at length during a sermon. And one of her early colleagues said she was the preachingest woman they ever saw, and she could preach anyone down. And sometimes her sermons would last a couple hours or longer. So she had to be awfully good at preaching if people would sit there for two hours and listen. But sometimes, um, you know, two-hour-long sermons were not as uncommon in the past as they would be nowadays. Now, Despite the two-hour-long sermons, despite preaching on holiness, despite preaching against skin, Ida still drew huge crowds, often much too large for the buildings that her services were held in. She would preach for a while, sing for a while, and teach for a while. And it said that her sermons were never dull, and they provided the congregation with plenty of opportunity to participate. It wasn't just... Ida talking to them in a monotone voice. No, it was exciting. It was passionate. And they could participate. She never could stay behind the platform either. That's what many of her early colleagues said. She just couldn't stay behind the platform. But she would get out and walk up and down those aisles. And she would interact with people. She would walk through the congregation during her sermons, putting an arm around attendees and calling them by their name. And she referred to her congregation as her children and their children as her grandchildren. And often during the service, she would make up songs, too. And the musical uh, accompaniment, the, I guess we'd call it now the music 
the uh, I guess the music group, they would follow her along. They would accompany her the best that they could. Now, some said that Ida's preaching was forceful. Others said it was inspirational, and still others said it was dynamic. And I liked it. Someone asked her how she became such an inspiring speaker and a prominent religious leader. And when they asked it, they weren't asking it in a nice way. Um, they were most likely considering her to be an uneducated Floridian, an uneducated Southerner from Florida. And um, if you're at all familiar with Internet memes or Internet news, you will know the legend of the Florida man. Uh, anytime you see something really weird or outrageous in the news, it's often a Florida man involved. So uh, Florida had a reputation then, too. So most likely when they were asking her this, it was basically like, how could you, some kind of a, a hick from Florida, have such a powerful ministry? And you know what her answer was? Ida said the Lord spoke to her one day, and he directed her future course, and he gave her the power of speech and inspiration she needed. And that was her answer. They said Ida was always humble. And always was very careful to give all the glory to the Lord for everything that the Lord accomplished through her. And until her death, it was said that there was always a gasp of awe that would come from the audience when it was announced that she was going to be the speaker. And even little kids in the congregation would sit still and listen. And this is an example of a tremendous anointing from God when even the little kids will stop what they're doing and listen. That is the Lord's presence in a place. Now, as I mentioned, she drew a lot of large crowds. And the home church had to move to a new building three times during the course of Ida's ministry, each time larger, larger, larger. The last location could hold 2,000 in the service, but even that was not large enough. A separate service would be held at the street-level auditorium for those who couldn't get into the main auditorium. Now, a lot of times, those who attended these services of Ida's would go to their home church in the morning and then Ida's church at night. And they came from a wide variety of denominations. It wasn't just the Pentecostal denominations, but all kinds of people were interested in what the Lord was saying through Ida. Now, here's an example of a typical week at Ida Bell Robinson's home church. They had church services daily. Monday night was women preachers night. Now, before you get offended and think, well, what about men preachers night? Wednesday was men preachers night. So they had a night for just women preachers and then a night for just men preachers. You got to love that kind of, what would they call it now? Gender equality. Tuesday was a tarrying service for those seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it had an evening service that was always led by Ida. Thursday was another tarrying service with an afternoon service dedicated to missionaries. And this was where she would give the young preachers an opportunity to preach. And then there would be an evening service led by Ida. Saturday was the Sunday school teachers meeting. And then Sunday began with a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. and services that could easily run past midnight. Ida was also involved in radio ministry. Every Thursday, the night service led by Ida was also broadcast on radio. The time slot was 9.45 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. over radio station WNEW, and it covered portions of New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, and sometimes it could reach as far as Virginia or North Carolina. Now, there were quite a few rules involved with Ida's church and the denomination, the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America. At church meetings, and this should sound familiar, women were encouraged to wear black dresses with white collars and white cuffs. That goes back to that holiness meeting when she recommitted her heart to the Lord and the Lord spoke to her about the need for holiness. Now, women were also supposed to leave their hair natural. No straightening, no color on their hair. Um, no cleavage or elbows were supposed to be showing. 
and no makeup was allowed and no lipstick was allowed so this these were the church rules now someone once complained that the rules for clothing and appearance seemed to only apply to women and so it was decided that the men would not wear neckties unless it was required at work and then they would only wear them at work and the men wore black suits and white shirts to their services so that's some of the rules for uh, our church. Now, another factor in her church was prayer. You notice there was a lot of prayer meetings going on, and prayer was important in Ida's personal life and personal ministry. Prayer was key to everything that Ida did, everywhere from home to church business meetings to church services. Uh, one woman who is uh, now a bishop in the denomination remembers being a kid visiting Ida's home. And she said as a child, she would hide under the table so she could hear what the adults were talking about. That sounds like a kid, doesn't it? I, I imagine she thought she was going to learn some juicy, interesting tidbit or something shocking. So and picture in your mind this large table, all these women around it, and this little kid hiding beneath the table, listening, listening. And she soon learned that much of what they talked about turned into prayer. I imagine her eavesdropping career uh, plummeted after that because there was not going to find a lot of interesting gossip and prayer that was being led by the Holy Spirit. So she said it was mainly prayer. Everyone in the house would stop and they would all pray together. And apparently one of Ida's sayings was, if you had knees, then you were old enough to pray. You were old enough to kneel down and seek the Lord. And I like that too, because that is not pushing kids away, but it's saying to the kids, you can participate too. You can pray too. You can pray to the Lord and the Lord will answer your prayers too. You can hear from the Lord in prayer. And I love that. That is so important. If we want to have the next generation of Christians be strong in the Lord and be strong in supporting uh, the gospel and all of that, they need to learn at a young age, as soon as they can, that it's okay to pray. That prayer is not just for grown-ups. It's not just for adults, but it's for them too. So, um, now, it being a denomination, that meant there would be more than one church. And so Ida and her husband, Oliver, would provide the money for a new church to get started. The new church would begin paying that money back in monthly payments as soon as it could afford. And then the money they paid back, Ida and Oliver would immediately invest into another church. And so that's how they funded uh, money for new churches. Now, another interesting aspect of Ida's church work was what they called the farm. Ida and her husband, Oliver, had a uh, large farm in New Jersey. Her husband's father was the one that ran the farm. And I think this is neat. They used the food from the farm to help feed people during the Great Depression. Uh, the farm also furnished the food for the annual convocation, which meant that the people that attended didn't have to worry about how much their meals would cost. The food was free. The farm became a retreat for the denomination, and they ended up building three hotels and a swimming pool, although the primary purpose of the swimming pool was for baptisms. And that pool was built by hand in the 1930s. Built by hand means with a shovel and uh, wheelbarrows, no excavators. Now, the farm was kept running until her husband, Oliver, uh, finally passed away. And the farm wasn't just all business, though. Um, it became like a vacation place for uh, for people that needed to get away, that needed to get away many times from the city, many times from the slums. People could come there and enjoy the country and the mosquitoes, it seems. They did have some trouble with mosquitoes. Now, one of the purposes of the farm was to take the kids and adults out of the slums for just a little while every year. And here's something else too, guys. This was not a moneymaker. This was not a, uh, a Christian theme park. Those who came, cost was never a question that came up. And there were swings and there were games and there was swimming in appropriate attire. And it was a Christian atmosphere. But again, I want to emphasize this was not some kind of a moneymaker or a Christian theme park. It was a working farm to provide food for people and to provide a place for uh, church members 
and especially the emphasis was on kids, for the kids to get out of the slums for a little while and have some fun in a Christian atmosphere. Now, the church and the pool are still there. Um, the pool is still used by churches uh, that don't have their own baptismal. So the farm is still there. It's just not a, a operating. I don't think it's an operating farm in the sense that what it used to be. Now, this is one of my favorite little snippets of trivia uh, about Ida Bell Robinson. You know that you are influential as a minister when J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI has a dossier on you. Yep, he became suspicious enough of Ida that he actually started a dossier on her. His main, he had three main complaints about Ida that he felt made her a threat to democracy in America. Now, let's see what those were. Number one, Ida encouraged but not demanded conscientious objection. Conscientious objection means that you as an individual feel that it would go against your conscience to kill someone even in battle. Now, a lot of conscientious objectors still serve in the military during wartime in non-combatant uh, roles. For example, a lot of times non-combatants will serve as medics on the battlefield. It's not that it's a it's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but there are a lot of Pentecostals that do feel uh, strongly about conscientious objection, and. Uh, I want to uh, point out that this was not something that Ida demanded of anyone that attended her church. It was merely something that she encouraged, and she would leave that decision to be settled between that individual and the Lord. Number two, Ida said the Japanese were not her enemies, and she had nothing against them. That was considered a threat to American democracy. That should sound somewhat familiar to those of us in modern times. Number three, what J. Edgar Hoover had against her that he considered a threat to American democracy was that she had a German secretary that was married to an Italian during World War II. Uh, and we fought against the Germans and the Italians. So apparently, one of the problems he had with Ida is that she refused to judge people based on their nationality or based on their... Uh, country of their ancestors origin so those were the three things I mean she really sounds dangerous doesn't she guys well Ida found out that he had a dossier on her it didn't bother her a bit Ida was not concerned about what uh, J. Edgar Hoover thought about her she was not concerned that J. Edgar Hoover suspected she might be anti-American what she was concerned about was how the Lord saw her and, you know, even if she had been labeled anti-American, which she never was, mind you, she never was. But even if she had been, that wouldn't have changed anything in the sight of God. As long as she was living her life in obedience to the Lord, that's all that mattered. So, why conscientious objection? Let's go back to this for a second. As I said, this can be, this is a touchy subject for a lot of people, and a lot of Christians try to veer away from it. But let's, let me explain this from the viewpoint of those in her church that were conscientious objectors. We believe that the shedding of blood or taking of human life is contrary to the word of God. This belief makes us adverse to war when laws are passed requiring induction into the armed forces, we submit to the provisions thereof because of the teaching of Romans 13.1. Our members are instructed to accept induction into the armed forces only as partial conscientious objectors, not to submit to the bearing of arms in any manner. They would not carry guns. They would serve in roles that would not require that they carry guns or weapons, uh, and they would not kill people, but they would support our country in time of war. And goodness knows there are plenty of jobs in the armed forces to support uh, the soldiers out in the battlefield without having to take up arms ourselves. So, the conscientious objectors associated with the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America felt their role was to be that of peacemakers. So in 1944, when Ida was only 53, uh, she became seriously ill with a life-threatening illness. She was in New York at the time, 
and you got to love her comments on this, her sense of humor. Um, maybe just a tad dark here. Uh, but she said she always enjoyed singing I'll Fly Away, but apparently it wasn't the Lord's time for her to fly away quite yet. And she said if you're sick and you're intent on dying, make sure you're not around a bunch of people with enough power and prayer to pray you back. And what she said what happened to her is she fell asleep and then she saw angels. And she heard in the distance a familiar voice. And this voice that she hears is one of the elders from her church. And she said the more she listened to that voice and strained to hear the words, the closer it got. Then she opened her eyes and she was in her bed and Elder James Bell was praying by her bedside. Now she saw a lot of things uh, apparently when she was in that near-death experience, and she was concerned. She didn't want to be deceived. So she asked the Lord to confirm to her what she saw when she died. And then a, later on, a gentleman arrives, and he describes for her exactly what she saw as a confirmation that she had actually seen, seen that. Now, Ida kept going full throttle for two more years, but... Her strength just continued to fail. And sensing that her journey was about to come to an end, but maybe not telling anyone, Ida decided to visit the southern churches, especially those in Florida. And she preached what would be her final message in the home church, Finally, brethren, farewell, from 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Now, when Ida announced that check, I'm sorry, when Ida announced that text, the church groaned as if they sensed what the true meaning of this message was. And Elder Queenie Barton said that Ida preached the same message in all the churches as she headed south to Florida. And she started that journey on April 6, 1946. And as they started out, there were 21 in the group, including, of course, her husband. And at one point, uh, their trailer broke down in rural Virginia. So Ida, she surveys the situation. Now remember, she got started as a street preacher. I love this. She asked for a tambourine, and then she stood on a chair and began to play that tambourine and sing until she had drawn a crowd. Then she preached to them. And I don't know about you guys, but there's something about the image of Ida standing on a chair Shaking that tambourine like she had done no doubt when she was a young woman and first accepted that call to preach. Shaking that tambourine and preaching. She was back to her roots. She never strayed from her roots. She had never strayed from her roots of holiness. She had never strayed from the path the Lord had sent her on. She never strayed. And she held a service for those people there that gathered around her in that street. And people got saved. And once that trailer was fixed, they moved on. Sadly, Ida was not able to finish the tour of the Mount Sinai, Sinai churches in Florida. She reached Jacksonville and then made it to Winter Haven, Florida, and then passed away on April 20th, 1946. And she was only 55 years old. But oh, how much she accomplished in her short life. Her remains were then shipped back to Pennsylvania for the funeral. Now, when Ida died, the denomination consisted of 84 churches, more than 160 ordained ministers, of whom 125 were women. Ida overcame through the power of God sexism, racism, and classism. Now, her ministry legacy also included an accredited school in Philadelphia, mission work in Cuba and Guyana, and a farm in South Jersey that provided a safe haven away from the city for church members. Today, it is the only organization founded by an African-American woman that has held consistent female leadership from its founding in 1924 until February 2001. Today, there are 130 congregations in 14 states and four countries, and membership exceeds 50,000. Now, I discovered Ida Bell Robinson by reading an 
uh, chapter written about her by uh, esteemed Assembly of God scholar Dr. Edith Blumhofer. And when I read it, I was fascinated by it. I was fascinated by the fact that she started her own denomination at the time that she did. And I'll admit I was also fascinated because they had rules for the men's appearance just like they did for the women's appearance. Yeah, I can be shallow like that. But when I as I first read it when I was a lot younger, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and then when I revisited that story, I was just amazed at what all the Lord accomplished through her. And what stood out to me is I um, found all the resources I could about her was the holiness of God that was exhibited through her life. She was able to leave churches amicably. She was able to leave denominations amicably, start her own denomination. And there was so much of the love of God at work in those people's lives that they were able to do this without political manipulation and backstabbing and trying to destroy each other. That has no place in Christian work. And if a church is behaving like that, I fear the Holy Spirit has long departed. And I am so thankful that we can look at this example of holiness at work in individual lives, in a ministry, and in a denomination, at the denominational level. It is possible for the love of God and the holiness of God to be exhibited at all those levels. And the next thing that stood out to me was Ida's concern that she not be deceived. She sought confirmation for things. When she had a word from the Lord, she sought confirmation. When she had seen things on her deathbed, she sought confirmation. Ida was not so proud in her ministry that she didn't realize she could be deceived. Maybe I'm not stating that as clearly as I would like. A lot of times we can walk with the Lord long enough that we think we know and we'll know if something's not of God or we'll know if something's not biblical or we'll know if we're being deceived. But guys, there's always a chance that we can be deceived. And that's why it is important that we humble ourselves before God and pray that we may not be deceived, that he would show us things as they truly are. And Ida is an excellent example of this. Here's a woman that accomplished so much for God, but still was humble enough to admit that she could be deceived, and so she sought not to be deceived. So, that's what I wanted to share with you guys about the life of Bishop Ida Bell Robinson, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening.